Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A lot of you know that I have my day job here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, where I talk to you each and every day about Georgia football. In addition to that, I also have a little bit of a, what do you call it, like a moonlighting thing? Is that still a phrase that people use? Or just sort of a little side gig? That's probably more the, the modern vernacular. A little bit of a side gig on Friday nights where I do high school football this time of year. And I really enjoy the chance to do that because I do like calling games. That's something that's really fun for me. But the other thing I, I like about doing the high school games on Friday night, and by the way, we've got a great one coming up this week. How about Carrollton against Walton in the state quarterfinals? What an amazing experience that's going to be. But the point I'm getting to is the other thing I really enjoy about doing high school football games on Friday is it gives me someone who's not a former coach or a former player. It gives me a chance to understand the sport in a way that I would never understand the sport if I wasn't kind of getting involved deeply in the game at the kind of the Friday night level. You just learn a lot from being around high school football coaches, something I'm very thankful I get a chance to learn. And one of the things you learn is, is that while the game is this very physical thing and the physicality required to win is propelled by the emotion of the players, the truth is apart from that and along with that, there's also a lot of like logistics involved in winning a football game especially this time of year because you've got teams from north georgia playing teams from south georgia and sometimes the south georgia teams are traveling north and sometimes the north georgia teams are traveling south and it's a lot about are we staying in hotels or are we stopping to eat we're gonna stop and stretch our legs that there is a lot about being a good football coach and anybody that you know is a high school football coach and i'm very thankful to count many coaches among my friends but any high school football coach will tell you that the organizational part of being a football coach is a very, very important part of getting the job done. And frankly, if I wasn't spending so much time on a weekly basis with high school football coaches, I'm not quite so sure I would fully understand that because that's not the, not, that's not the part you see when you watch a game on Friday night. That's not the part in college that you see on a Saturday or even the NFL on Sunday. But the organizational part of the game is truly, really important. And in college football, Georgia football, the thing we talk about here on a daily basis, the same thing is just as true. That There's obviously a lot of emotional energy at play when the game takes place on a Saturday. But along with that, there's the sort of practical realities that have to be confronted to get you to that moment of game time. And I don't know that there's any week in the year where this is more true than the week that we're experiencing here right now. This is, on the one hand, a rivalry week. And down here in the South, we care about college football all the time, 52 weeks a year. But this is the one week where everybody seems to care about college football, whatever region of the country you're in, Midwest, Far West, whatever else. Everybody sort of seems to have some understanding of what rivalry week is all about. And a lot of times it's in-state rivals or in the case of like Ohio State and Michigan, it's traditional rivals who kind of share a border with each other. But everybody kind of has their own version of rivalry week. And you know the feeling as it relates to rivalry week. It's throw the records out the window. And this is one in which, you know, the only thing that matters is who wins this game. And you can the worst team can spoil the better team season. There's a lot of extra energy as it relates to rivalry week. But it also just so happens to coincide with Thanksgiving as well. And listen, every program is dependent on its players. you got to recruit good players to uh, have a good team and if you want to recruit good players any coach will tell you at the college level one of the main ways to recruit good players is to make sure that mama is happy 
you got to make mama happy in the recruiting process because if mama ain't happy, that son is not of hers is not coming to your school. And once that player is on your campus, if you want that player to sort of have the best overall college experience, you're going to make sure that mama stays happy over the course of those three or four years. That is just the truth. That's what it comes down to. And so if a very good way to make mama mad is to somehow mess up Thanksgiving. Now, you got to try to figure out a way to do both here, right? you got the uh, big game coming up against Georgia Tech on Saturday, or every school's got its own big rivalry game here coming up. But you also got to find some time to make sure that Thanksgiving gets appreciated there too, because if you don't, mama's going to be mad. And whatever mama's bringing at you at that point in time is far worse than what Georgia Tech's throwing at you or anybody else, and vice versa, because mama wants there to be some sort of acknowledgement of Thanksgiving in the midst of all of this stuff you got to do to get ready for football on Saturday. And that's just sort of the job of a coach this time of year. The kind of logistics behind the scene are far more important than sometimes we give it credence and credibility to. But yesterday, when Kirby Smart stepped up to speak to kind of begin the Georgia Tech week, he acknowledged both those things, that, hey, this is one of the most special weeks in the college football calendar, and it's also a little bit of a challenge behind the scenes because people want turkey and dress in there as well. This is what Kirby Smart said about that going back to yesterday. Love rivalry week uh, across the country. What makes college football really special to me is all the rivalries you get to watch uh, on this week, very unique week timing-wise. Uh, a lot of distractions with uh, Thanksgiving going on. Um, those are good distractions, uh, but they are different. So um, how you manage that and how you deal with that is important. I mean, that's it, right? Hey, Rival Week is like really, really special. And we've also got some challenges because uh, we got to, you know, kind of a, a sort of a shift our schedule around and make sure we're able to kind of, you know, enjoy all of that the right way come Thursday. And that's just the practical reality of all of this. So, I'm kind of curious about specifically what does that mean then? Like, what is the practical, like, actual scenario of how you kind of do both of those things? And for Georgia, to its credit, it has also seemed to kind of handle this stuff pretty well over the years because, you know, the other thing that Georgia's kind of got going on on the other side of rivalry week is a, a trip to the SEC championship game again, you know, next Saturday there as well. And and Georgia just hasn't really been distracted by all this kind of stuff too much over the years. So how do you handle Thanksgiving and rivalry week at the same time? Exactly how do you go through all of that? Well, I talked to John Stinchcomb, the former Georgia All-American about this because uh, Stinchcomb has been a part of this. Big wins against Georgia Tech, uh, dealing with kind of the Thanksgiving part of all of this too. Like, what is this like for a player during this particular week where you do have this big rivalry game coming up and you've also got some time that you want to spend with your family or maybe better say, your family who really wants to spend some time with you uh keeping mama happy very important this is what john stinchcomb said about that yesterday in terms of the way in which you sort of do both of these things on this particular week here's how john said that as a football player you're used to routine and uh, you know they'll accommodate in some ways they'll either move practice up or give you time to you know chew on some turkey with loved ones that are able to come to town which is what we did i mean back in 20 years ago when I was in Athens as a player, my folks would come up and we'd celebrate Thanksgiving at, at the apartment there. And for any other teammates that didn't have anywhere to go, they're welcome to, to come spend it with us. And you recognize that you know, just because we don't have the same last name doesn't mean we're not family. And especially in the locker room, those bonds are, are thicker sometimes and stronger than those with just blood relation so you know you, you find ways to to get together and celebrate kind of nice to think about that right i mean 
players there in Athens, you know, it's hard for them to go somewhere else. A lot of times, as John says, families come to us as players and, you know, not every family is able to travel. Perhaps it's just too far away or whatever else. And so those players get invited to share Thanksgiving with some of their teammates. And that seems like a really fun table to be at, right? You know, reflecting on what's been, in this case for Georgia, a very fun and special season, the kind of stories that players just only shared experience they only have with each other as the cranberry sauce gets passed around or the macaroni and cheese, the whatever else. That, that, that seems like it'd be a pretty fun table to be at. And it sounds like in the midst of what can be kind of a challenge of getting ready for a big game while also enjoying a uh, very important day in the, in the in the life of a family sounds like there's a lot of fun to be had now in addition to that there's also kind of the weird thing for Georgia where you know when Alabama plays Auburn everybody knows exactly what the Iron Bowl is all about when Michigan plays Ohio State everybody knows exactly what that game is all about and a lot of the Egg Bowl for sure you know on Thanksgiving night between Ole Miss and Mississippi State you know a lot of these rivalries sort of stand up and leave no doubt about their level of importance for Georgia it can be a little bit of a different thing. And after all, I mean, I do this show every single day with Eddie, the official mascot of Dog Nation Daily, sitting on our desk, and Eddie holds up a sign about a rivalry other than the one that Georgia plays this week, Georgia and Georgia Tag. You know, the Georgia fans, depending on where you live, sometimes view you know different rivalries to have different levels of importance. We've kind of preached for years that a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost, that it's correct to view the Georgia-Florida rivalry is more important than the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry. It's honestly not, you know, my place to sort of beat that drum here this week because I want everybody focused on the game that Georgia's about to play, the one against Georgia Tech. So whatever we say the other times of the year, we kind of quiet down on that uh, a little bit here this time of year because obviously it's important to keep the focus where it needs to be on the team that Georgia's playing on Saturday. And admittedly, in the challenge of trying to do rivalry week at the same week of Thanksgiving, the other challenge that sort of pops up for Georgia is, exactly how this rivalry with Georgia Tech is supposed to be viewed given the fact that Georgia because of its large geography it's I think the biggest state east of the Mississippi River get a lot of good programs that touch Georgia therefore the potential for a lot of rivalries uh, a lot of passion for a lot of these games including the Georgia Florida one we talk about all the time so where does that leave Tech in the pecking order of all of this and you know Kirby Smart also talked about that a little bit yesterday there as well which is Hey, you know, for different people, different rivalries mean different things. And as Kirby says, not necessarily his place to sort of rank them. Uh, this is Kirby talking about that yesterday. Well, geographically, they're close, right? They're in our state. Um, you're playing for something uh, every time you play them because you're playing for state championship. And I think that's uh, that's always important. And, uh, you know, they do a, they do a good job. It's, it's, it's the next opponent. I don't rank them any higher than anybody else because – I look at all the games as rivalries, and I let everybody else debate what's the highest. I don't get into those comparisons, but a lot of respect for Brent and the job they do. The unspoken subtext to all of this is it's the fear that exists for Georgia fans going into a day like Saturday of, and I talked to John Stinchcomb about this yesterday, of, oh my gosh, please don't let us overlook Georgia Tech. Please don't let this team go out there and not be at its best because it's too stuffed from Thanksgiving or it's not quite as fever pitch emotionally because it's not the same thing as playing Tennessee on the road or playing Florida and Jacksonville or Deep South's oldest rivalry against Auburn. This feels like a team, Georgia Tech, that's lesser than you, so therefore you give them the emotional edge of uh, of, of wanting the win more than you perhaps want it. 
That's the sort of unspoken subtext to all of this is that Georgia fans don't want their team to get caught looking ahead or get caught emotionally flat or get caught less than their best because the perception here is the so-called little brother and the rivalry. I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just saying there is clearly a difference in stature between Georgia as a program and Georgia Tech. I'm not trying to be trollish. That's just a fact that the team that's the lesser team, the lesser program in this rivalry perhaps has a little bit of an additional edge because they want to try to get onto the same field as Georgia and deserve to be in a matchup like that and get some respect because of that. That's what they want. But Georgia, to its credit, seemingly just doesn't fall prey to this kind of stuff very much. And I'm not, that's not the same thing as saying that Georgia doesn't ever lose to Georgia Tech. Georgia has lost to Georgia Tech in the Kirby Smart era. Back in 2016, Georgia lost to Georgia Tech. And over the years, Georgia will occasionally lose to Georgia Tech. But the teams that lose to Tech, by and large, aren't the really good teams that are looking ahead to something else. They're, uh, to be frank, the kind of teams that played bad against more than just Georgia Tech in that given year if we're just being you know really really honest here that for everything that we want to say about oh it's a rivalry game throw the records out the window the truth is in rivalries like this the records actually do seem to matter the better team in the game seems to win more often than not you could perhaps cite some examples when that wasn't true one big one that comes to mind for me is when Georgia upset Georgia Tech back in 2009 when Tech was ranked in the top 10 and you know on its way to winning an ACC championship didn't they win the ACC that year maybe it was taken away by NCAA uh stuff but uh but uh I, I think at least for a while they were ACC champions eventually it was taken away from them um but that was an upset perhaps in this rivalry but for the most part the 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 records have mattered the better team has prevailed and Georgia to its credit has kind of found a way to get that done shaking off the potential distraction of Thanksgiving shaking off the potential temptation to look ahead of the SEC championship and once again uh, yesterday John Stinchcomb kind of talked about exactly how it is that Georgia does that treating tech and this is actually a good thing here no different than any other game the team plays one more from john stinchcomb that's how teams avoid those letdowns in performance is because it doesn't matter who, who they're playing against they practice so hard they notoriously one of the hardest practices in all of, all of college football is at the university of georgia and that's not lost on the players, and it certainly isn't lost on fans when Saturday rolls around and you see the performance that, that's on the field. And it's because they feel like, I've worked too hard to come out here on a Saturday and not perform at our very best. And I don't care who it is across from us that has to receive the brunt of, of our frustrations of you know these physical grinder practices, but... If I only have a limited number of opportunities to go out here and, and show the world the fruits of our labor, well, then we're going to take advantage of those opportunities. So it's not about who Georgia is playing. It's about Georgia playing the very best level of football that they can. So let's bottom line this here for a moment. What John Stinchcomb says there, I believe, is 100% true. The thing that defines the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry is a sense of imbalance between the two programs. Georgia's obviously great. Tech is hoping to even be relevant. Uh, Georgia and Georgia Tech as institutions seemingly care about different things. Fan base seems to aspire to sort of different things. These are just 
two groups of people that sort of live in different orbits for most of the year and yet find themselves on the same field on a Saturday like this. And sometimes that imbalance makes some Georgia fans a little wary of, oh, let's be careful not to overlook Georgia Tech because I don't want to lose to this bunch. I want to be 12-0 and and I want to keep the momentum going into the SEC championship next Saturday. What I love about Georgia right now is, while Georgia's not obviously a guarantee to play great week to week, you know, the idea there's some sort of huge distraction in a game like this or some sort of immaturity late in the season where you're thinking about the wrong thing and not, as Kirby Smart had said before, being where your feet are, this Georgia team has just sort of, sort of shown us time and time again that does not need to be a concern for them. They do seem to understand full well what each week requires. And even if it's Thanksgiving and you're taking a pause to – you know, eat some turkey and dressing and some mashed potatoes and some corn and some macaroni and cheese, you know, there's there, there's still that desire to be the very best you can at football because that's just sort of what Georgia does, whether it's a, you know, a non-rival or an in-state rival or anything else in between. So there's a lot to do in a week like this and a lot to think about when you start looking ahead at what can happen next Saturday. But Georgia's shown you they don't look ahead and they don't get distracted. They do what they do, which is dominate football games, whether it's Tennessee on the road last week or in Atlanta this week. And I think you can expect that same version of Georgia to show up against Georgia Tech on Saturday. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all those video platforms, radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref, podcast, wherever you find them. Just glad to have you with us, and so thankful to have our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia as part of our show here today foundation waterproofing issues those can be significant problems for a homeowner and that's why engineered solutions of georgia exists the word solution is right there in that their name that means they want to be a solutions-based company for you helping you solve if you've got water coming in where it's not supposed to be or if you've got that telltale sign evidence of cracks in a foundation an unsettled foundation issue uh that's where engineered solutions of georgia wants to step up and do great work for you and they've got an entire team of engineers on staff to help make sure that happens and there's really nobody else in our marketplace that can say they put that level of resource towards your problem the way that our friends at engineered solutions of georgia do on a daily basis they're also proud partners of uga which makes them really fun to do business with and uh, they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily there as well. So we're just so, so grateful for that. So if you see water coming in, basement, crawl space, garage, where it's not supposed to be, or there's evidence that it has been there, or if you see like the horizontal cracks in your sheetrock, the sort of stair step cracks on the outside of your house, perhaps in the brick area right there, that can be a sign of something. It's not always a, it's not always a bad sign, but it can be. And the only way to know is just sort of reach out, and give them a call, and if it's an easy fix, they'll tell you that because they're looking to help you solve problems. So if it's a simple fix, they'll do that for you, or, or at least tell you how to do it yourself, maybe even. But if it's something more substantial, all the more reason to have really smart folks, the engineers like the ones employed by Engineered Solutions of Georgia to help get it done for you. So give them a call. Dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. Proud partners of UGA, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is a solution to your foundation 
and waterproofing issues. All right, one more big thing here before we move on with the rest of the show. Yesterday, huge response to our go for three and 23 dog nation tailgate before next Saturday's SEC championship. We were a little later rolling this out this year uh, than we, you know, perhaps before. So this is one of those things where you have less time to sort of jump in on this. And yesterday, a lot of you jumped in on it. So it's an amazing experience right there at the Home Depot backyard, food, beverage, closest location you can be to Mercedes-Benz City for next Saturday. And of course, the go for three and 23 t-shirt. And this is, by the way, I believe the only run of these t-shirts we're going to be able to do. So uh, we have not unveiled a go for three and 23 t-shirt. Uh, we do will be doing that for I think it's the first hundred people who get signed up for this uh, tailgate for this upcoming or should say this next week. So inventory is flying fast. We had a massive response to this yesterday. So if you want to be there and be a part of an amazing experience, go to dognation.com for more details. It's right there. Uh, the go for three and 23 logo, the picture of the tailgate. You'll see all of that. You can click it. You can be a part of it. And we want to see you there. More information on that at dognation.com. Super simple to click in, get your tickets. Can't wait to have you with us for all of that. All right, it's Connor Riley here coming up in just a moment. Looking forward to having Connor as a part of the show here today. Interesting injury update coming there on that. Pretty important stuff that Kirby Smart kind of gave you yesterday. Perhaps quieting down maybe some of the uh, the chatter around one pretty key Georgia injury, or at least perhaps anyway. We'll talk more about that here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse here today. And I want to talk about Carson Beck for a moment. And look, this is one of those things where obviously I love big, loud opinions. I like hyping up things as it relates to George. I honestly think that stuff is genuinely fun. And yet there are some moments in which I sort of feel the need to also kind of go back and like, uh, I guess, vouch for my sincerity because it's fun to give big opinions and it's fun to sort of hype things up. But in this particular case, I do believe this is genuine and real that right now Carson Beck is playing like the best quarterback in the country, or at least among the very best quarterbacks in the country, because honestly, Jaden Daniels from LSU is truly having a special season, but Daniels is not on a special team. So of the quarterbacks on teams that have a chance to be in the college football playoff and play for a national championship, what Carson Beck is giving Georgia right now is as good, if not better, than what anybody else is giving their team in that same situation. And I think that Georgia fans have realized that. I think there's a sense, and if you pay attention to certain like national media types who are like really watching the games closely, I think there's a sense they also understand that there too, which is at the beginning of the year, it was a very legitimate concern to say, well, how good will Carson Beck be really? We haven't seen him before. And how good will Mike Bobo be as the replacement for Todd Munkin because Todd Munkin was you know, very valuable for Georgia over the course of the last two national championship seasons. All of those were very real and very legitimate concerns. But when you watch the way that Georgia's played through these 11 games, including the last three, all against ranked opponents and the most recent Tennessee ranked opponent on the road, what you realize is whatever concern that perhaps existed around back before he began his career for the most part as a starter anyway at the beginning of the season, he's answered all those questions. And he's demonstrated himself to be a top flight, top level player and much like this time a year ago Stetson Bennett was on his way to working his way into the Heisman finalist conversation Carson Beck is at least doing that and if not maybe a step ahead of Bennett in the standpoint that 
I think you can make a legitimate case for for Beck actually winning the award. Now, we told you before that when it comes to like hyping a bunch of this kind of stuff up, we weren't going to go crazy on that because obviously we're kind of all in the Brock Bowers thing. Then Bowers got injured and, you know, we were just going to kind of sort of decenter ourselves from this conversation a little bit. We're going to allow it to take place without getting, you know, sort of too deep into it all. But it is a worthy discussion to be had because of how Beck is playing and what George is getting from him offensively. And, you know, Kirby Smart was asked about this Saturday after the win against Tennessee. And, you know, Smart is sometimes careful about how he chooses his words around stuff like this, but also more than happy to acknowledge the value that he sees Beck bringing to his team on a weekly basis. This was really good stuff from Kirby Smart on Saturday night, but the idea of Carson Beck potentially being a Heisman candidate here this late in the season, take a listen to Kirby on that. I don't lobby for those guys, but it's easy to sit back and say, look what this kid's done. You know, the, 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 worst, the worst thing for Beck individually is he plays with a good defense because it makes you not want to sit there and just run it up. I mean, these other, some of these other guys, they get an opportunity, they got to score 40 a game. You know, like with Carson Beck, I don't think we as an offensive staff think we got to score 40 a game. I don't think we think we have to. We may have to, but we don't think we have to. So you're able to call the game differently as an offensive coordinator. So I don't think that hamstring, I don't think he cares about that, but he is talented, guys, and he's smart, and uh, he's a better athlete than you think. And he's got you know, 19 and, and some good players out there. I think that is all really true from Kirby Smart, that the evaluation of Beck is always going to be a little bit different because he just plays on a different kind of team than some of these other quarterbacks play on. But the thing that kind of gets obscured from all of this on Kirby is, is the actual statistics for Beck are perhaps better than some people realize. You know, he may not show up necessarily on like the list of touchdowns thrown and things like that because he's not always, you know, being asked to do that necessarily. But you've heard me say before that a stat that probably matters to me more than anything else is yards per attempt because it's a combination of how explosive you are when you do throw it plus how accurate you are when you throw it. In this particular case, you know, Beck is seventh in America right now in yards per attempt. That puts him ahead of Michael Penix Jr. and right behind Bo Nix, who's sort of been thought to be kind of be among the Heisman leaders here. Now, Jaden Daniels having an amazing year in that category at 11.8 yards per attempt. You know, you won't hear me say a bad word about him necessarily, but it kind of comes down to what do you value a better stat line on a worse team or an elite level stat line on a team that could win the national championship. And y'all here is why I think that Beck might deserve to kind of get the nod over Daniels in that regard. If Beck wasn't playing at this sort of Heisman level at quarterback, would Georgia be in this spot here right now? I don't know that it would. This is just a different type of situation for Georgia here this year. And I believe it's probably been the best overall offense of any of the last three seasons for UGA and at times, Georgia's needed that, and Beck has provided it. So while the stellar level of play that sometimes you got from Stetson Bennett sort of felt like an add-on luxury based on the nuts and bolts of what Georgia was really doing to make itself a championship contender, the performance for Beck at times this year, to me, has sort of felt like a little bit more of a part of the true nucleus of what Georgia football is all about. And much the same way, I'm not going to say a bad thing about uh, – you know, Jane Daniels, I think he's had a great season. I think that Knicks and Penix have both had really good seasons out west there too, but it's a far different scenario for both of them than what it is for Carson Beck right now. And I think it's probably a little bit of a miscarriage of justice that the the Knicks and the Penixes have at times gotten more attention than what Beck has gotten for what he's doing here at UGA. And perhaps that's about to change because 
while he's got the biggest stage of all in the SEC championship coming up against Alabama, you know, primetime on Saturday night against Georgia Tech, more eyeballs perhaps on that game than previous editions of clean old-fashioned hay and more of an opportunity for Carson to once again kind of show you what he's all about, assuming he gets a chance to stay in and put a stat line together and things like that. But the work that he's already doing is absolutely phenomenal. It's nice to hear Kirby sort of touting for him. Now, when Beck had a chance to tout for himself on Saturday night, he totally sidestepped the entire opportunity. You can go hear that interview uh, on the Dog Nation YouTube page if you want more of that. But some of his teammates more than happy to do that work for him, including tight end Oscar Delb, who met with the media yesterday and was more than happy to kind of stand up and cast his vote for Beck to at least be in New York as a Heisman finalist. This is what uh, Oscar Delp, uh, Beck's teammate, said yesterday. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you see what he does on film every day, and uh, I think I think his film speaks for itself. And uh, I mean, it's not like his stats are bad. I mean, he's got he's you can look at quarterbacks that have been there previously, and I mean, I, I think he deserves a spot in New York. Exactly, as I said before, the overall stat line perhaps a little bit better than you even think on something like that. But at the very least, another Heisman finalist there for UGA. And earlier in that same press conference, Delp had kind of gone into more detail about exactly why he thinks right now Carson may be the best player at his position in the entire country. A little bit more from Oscar Delp on that. He gets better every week. I mean, uh, he lets tape speak for himself. Uh, I mean, I think he's the best quarterback in the country. Just he prepares every week like it's his last game, and uh, he took advantage of his role this year, and uh, he's going to keep taking advantage of it. And I think he's going to keep get better every week, just like he does every day in practice. The one stat that we're you know Beck probably does not kind of go in the same category of some of these other guys is touchdowns thrown. As I said before, he's just you know tied for 26 best in the country on that at uh, just 21 touchdowns. But as Kirby Smart said, you know Georgia's not asking itself to go out and score 40 every week because the other team that it's playing is going to score 38. That's just never been the M.O. for Georgia. And what Stetson Bennett did last year on his way to a Heisman finalist type campaign, you know, Beck is absolutely doing that, at least for UGA right now. But final thought, though, here is whether Beck gets to New York or not, whether he exceeds what Stetson Bennett did a year ago or not, we all know this, that the real test is coming for Beck because the place that Stetson Bennett ultimately made the biggest name for himself was on the biggest stage in those biggest games sec championships college football playoff games national championship games and ultimately that's the place where the back legacy is going to be fully cemented but i think the point that we're getting to here right now is the acknowledgement that as georgia prepares for all of this as it gets ready to hopefully go for three and 23 the level of confidence the level of confidence that georgia fans have right now in carson back is justifiably high and being acknowledged by the Heisman voters and the things like that, it just seems like sort of the right thing to do for a guy in Carson who's truly having, I think, a very special year in the midst of what can be for Georgia still a very special season. And that is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia here today. Now, we want to keep the conversation about Georgia going here right now. College Football Playoff Top 25 comes out again tonight. We'll talk about what's happening below Georgia and all of that important injury updates from kirby smart we'll cover some of the ground there on that and everything else going on with these dogs as clean old-fashioned hate looms on saturday let's do it all with connor riley here right now today on dog nation daily presented by esog from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider we will say hello to Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia here today. And Connor, we always appreciate your time. And of course, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. And uh, we may have just lost Connor. Did we lose Connor right there? 
All right, we lost Connor. We'll get Connor back here coming up in just a second. We'll get him going here on that uh, conversation about about Carson Beck and Beck's status as a true Heisman contender here and where the uh, Beck season sort of fits in with the Bo Nixes and the Michael Penixes and the Jaden Daniels, all quarterbacks who I think are having outstanding seasons, but I also believe genuinely that Carson Beck is having an outstanding season as well. So we'll look forward to doing that with Connor Riley here coming up. In fact, Connor is back with us again. Connor, appreciate that. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And how real do you view the Carson Beck Heisman candidacy here right now? Yeah, first, let me be the first, or I guess the second, to wish the Dog Nation audience and you a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Chris Berman obviously doing it last night on uh, NFL primetime. <laughs> uh, it's it's real enough to where I've uh, I, I've started contemplating reaching out to my brother who lives in New York about crashing there uh, for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Uh, you know, doing this sort of boy math on this, I, I think probably both Bo Nix and Michael Penix are probably going to be finalists. You know, maybe one of them knocks the, the other out with their play in the conference championship game. Jaden Daniels is obviously going to be there. I feel pretty comfortable that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be there. So the question then becomes, do they bring a fifth guy? Can Carson Beck play well enough in these last two games to be sort of the fourth guy there? Not dissimilar to what we saw from Stetson a year ago. I don't think Carson is in a position to win the award this year unless he gets like 15 touchdowns in the next two games because the one big difference I think when you look at him compared to other guys it's not so much the yards but it is the lack of touchdowns that he has in comparison yeah. only 24 whereas I believe Bo Nix is in the 30s I believe Penix is, is in the 30s and then Jaden Daniels is obviously there as well so uh, you know from that standpoint it'll be tough to see but he's got a statement game still on his resume uh, against Alabama and, and if he goes out there and plays well in that game and leads Georgia to a win you're going to have a lot of people talking about him. Now, I would also caution maybe against some of this. Let's not forget that a certain uh, Dog Nation program host coined the phrase for October. No, you're right. They pushed to get Brock Bowers to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. Maybe not necessarily a Heisman Trophy finalist, but to push him and his standing up in the sport. And then Brock, unfortunately, got hurt and missed two games. And so you know, I, I would caution about putting too much hype there. And look, Carson was asked about it uh, after the game on Saturday. Kirby was asked about it as well. You know, it's going to be tough for a Georgia offensive player to win the award just because of the way that they play and how they diversify their offense so that they're not so reliant on one player. But it speaks to how well and how consistent Carson has been on a week-in, week-out basis to where he does, I think, have some legitimate Heisman credentials because it seems like every sort of week he's going to go out there, complete between 67 and 80% of his passes, throw for at least 250 yards, account for a couple of the touchdowns, and lead Georgia to a win. And the fact that he's been able to do that in his first year as a starter, I think speaks to how polished and impressive he has been this season. Yeah, so first of all, a few things. We have been more than open and honest about this, that we really shot our mouth off about Brocktober. That clearly did not go well. And so the phrase we've used is, We've tried to decenter ourselves from the Beck for Heisman conversation. We've tried to allow it to happen and listen to the room here a little bit without making ourselves be kind of the focal point of the uh, discussion. So, so we are more than happy to kind of take a back seat and let this kind of be led by somebody else for a change because, you know, pretty clearly our, our attempt to hype up Brocktober did not go necessarily as, as planned. So we've been, we've been more than open and honest about that, that we are not the center of the uh, Carson Beck discussion here right now with, with good reason perhaps. And, on a more serious note, I'm sort of fine with the hype for Jaden Daniels to the extent that it exists because I, I do believe 
genuinely that there ought to be room for unorthodox winners, right? It doesn't always have to be best player on best team. When you're having, I don't even know that people fully appreciate the 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 level of like statistical dominance of Daniels here this year. He's really having a Joe Burrow level season for LSU, as crazy as that sounds, but he really is having just a bizarrely amazing year. Um, and so, if people say, "Hey, it's not a great team, but Daniels is a great player." I really don't really have a problem with that vote, you know, whatsoever. It's more the comparison, like say Knicks and Penix, that I would be a little bit more grieved by. Even though I kind of like both Penix and Knicks as players right now, the truth is, you know, a big question exists around back when this year began of, oh, could he give Georgia what it needs at quarterback? And he has. And Connor, if he was not playing at an elite level, I don't know that Georgia is eleven and zero right now. I don't know that Georgia's the number one team in the CFP top twenty-five. You know, right now, you know, this isn't to me Stetson Bennett. With all due respect to Bennett, we all have great appreciation for him. But sometimes it seems like Bennett's greatness was like sort of a luxury add-on on top of what made Georgia special. I think in this case, Beck to me is a little bit more a part of the true nucleus of what Georgia really is, and. I hope that makes sense because I just sort of feel like that that back is sort of woven into the fabric and identity of what Georgia is right now, maybe more so than any other quarterback has been thus far in this run for UGA. Yeah, as far as the other you know Heisman candidates there, when it comes to Jaden Daniels, he's thrown 47 fewer passes than Carson Beck has this season and has over 150 more passing yards, not to mention an additional 15 touchdowns and a few one fewer interception. Like, you know, say what you want about him doing it against Georgia State, whatever. The, the numbers that he has put up on a week-in, week-out basis I think are certainly deserving. And actually, for me right now, the top two guys I would have on my theoretical ballot would be Jaden Daniels and Marvin Harrison Jr., just because of what Harrison Jr. means to that Ohio State offense. And I think if he goes out and has a big game against Michigan this weekend, you know, I'm talking 100-plus yards, multiple touchdowns, and Ohio State finds a way to win that game. I think he'd have a very serious case to be made just as the most important player for what will clearly be a college football playoff team. I think those two guys are the two that I'm sort of deciding on here as we enter the final stretch. And as far as Beck, you know, I think maybe the reason he's not maybe a more serious candidate is he's been a different quarterback since halftime of the Auburn game. And that first month of the season, you know, there were some obvious nerves there, him getting his feet under him and starting to play better. But from halftime of the Auburn game on, in my mind, he's been a different quarterback. He's been that elite decision-maker, that elite playmaker uh, that's been able to, in hostile environments now against Auburn and against Tennessee, go out there and, and really just carve up teams. You know, and Obviously, he's done it at home, putting up 50 points on Kentucky and 50 points on Ole Miss. And so I think the player that he's been since that Auburn game has undoubtedly been one of the five best quarterbacks in the country. And so I think he is someone that, you know, again, as he's gotten into it, whether it be, you know, as Stetson told us last year, he needed to get hit to sort of settle in and feel like himself. Maybe Carson Beck has some of that, those same qualities there. But really since that Auburn game where they come out, they're down 10 nothing in the first quarter, they trail in the third quarter there. From that Auburn game on, Carson Beck in my mind has been a very different player and a much better player. And to your point, uh, Georgia is far better off with him at this level than they were beforehand. And I want to make one more point on this, then we will move on to talk about something different. I want to be very clear about one thing, that when you bring Stetson Bennett in the conversation, I think it's also important to acknowledge that the greatness of Bennett was demonstrated in the very biggest games that he played in. We haven't seen Carson Beck play in those types of games yet. So when I make the comparison between Beck and Bennett, I want to be very careful to acknowledge 
that the thing that ultimately made Stetson Stetson was what he did on games in which MVPs were awarded. Our buddy Jeff Sintel kind of coined the phrase stage game, where they roll the stage out at the end of the game to, to acknowledge the winner. That's where Bennett was always at his best. And so while it's very easy to make sort of regular season game-by-game game comparisons between Beck and Bennett, the ultimate comparison comes with what happens December on, and that's where Stetson was always at his best. So, Connor, before we kind of move off this discussion, I at least want to acknowledge, you know, clutch is not really a word we use very much anymore, kind of an old-timey word in sports talk, but uh, but Bennett was a truly clutch player, and that's the thing that, you know, Beck will have a chance to demonstrate about himself as you're going to get into the, to the later stage of the season here. Right. Stetson Bennett was awesome in the SEC championship game last year against LSU, and that's a big reason why I think he got the final invite to New York there. And, and I will say, well, you know, obviously the Alabama game is easily from a state standpoint going to be the biggest game that Carson Beck has played in. In games against ranked foes this season, now Kentucky's obviously no longer ranked, and I don't believe Tennessee should be. But in those four games against ranked foes that Georgia has played this season, Carson Beck has 11 touchdown passes and two interceptions, and none of those games have been particularly close. And he also won two of those games without Brock Bowers, his best player out there on the field. Now, obviously, Missouri, 30-21 score there, but Georgia also didn't punt in the second half of that game either. So I think Carson is a guy that has been able, as we saw Stetson do time and time again in his career at Georgia, elevate his game when Georgia absolutely needed him to. And if he's able to do that against Alabama, which I also think will probably be the best defense he faces during the regular season, it's going to say a whole lot about what he's going to be able to do. I get the impression there's a little bit more juice around the Georgia-Georgia Tech game this year. Uh, Tech's a little bit better. They're both eligible. Um, they're also a little bit more fun to watch, which probably gives them a little bit of extra credibility. It's a primetime game this year. I know the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry is kind of a thing that you like anyway. You've been kind of an advocate for this rivalry in the midst of all the changing landscape around you know college athletics here. Are you satisfied there's a little bit more juice to this game here coming up on Saturday? I am. Obviously, Georgia Tech, I think, has to go out there and win for this to be a real rivalry. Uh, Georgia Tech has not beaten Georgia in Atlanta since 1999 when I was five years old. Uh, to go back to the last time Georgia Tech beat Georgia in Atlanta in regulation, you have to go back to 1989. Uh, like Taylor Swift was not even born at that point in time yet. Uh, it, it, you know, this is a rivalry that, depending on who you talk to from where they are in the state, means different things to different people. I don't think it's you know as clear-cut as, obviously, Florida and probably Auburn there as well. But I'll tell you this, from, from the times that it has happened in my lifetime, if you're a Georgia fan, there's nothing worse than losing the last yeah. game of the regular season to Georgia Tech. You have to sit with that, even though you get a bowl game, or in this case you get an SEC championship game. Uh, there's nothing worse than losing that last regular season game. And, and so... I do think that that sort of matters, and I do think that Kirby Smart, in a way, he didn't, nor should he have ever respected Jeff Collins. There's a real respect for Brent Key and what he brings to that Georgia Tech program. I, you know, obviously, from a financial standpoint, Tech is not the same area code as Georgia is, but I think he's finding a way, and he's got a better understanding of the types of players that Georgia Tech can go out and attract and bring in to help turn around that program. They've got some former SEC guys there, Christian Larry from Alabama, obviously Dominic Blaylock and Brett Tyka from Georgia. Uh, Haynes King, uh, a guy that a lot of Texas yeah. A&M people just sort of wrote off when he left last year. And he's been great this year for them. Now, 15 interceptions isn't maybe necessarily what you want, especially at a place like that where where the margins are so thin. But for, their, for the plays he gives away, to use a phrase that Kirby Smart uh, has said often this season, uh, Haynes King can take a punch, and he can give a punch yeah. as well. 26 touchdowns, 
over 2,000 yards passing, seven rushing touchdowns, 600 yards rushing there as well. That guy has been a dynamic playmaker for Georgia Tech and has kept them in and won them some games, most notably Miami game earlier this year. He's a guy that's going to stress Georgia and might be, you know, I think the best quarterback that they've faced this season this state in terms of what he's going to be able to do. Now, obviously, he's going to make his mistakes on Saturday, and I think Georgia needs to take advantage of that. But I do think that this is a Tech team that, for really the first time in a long time, is at least pointed in the right direction and has a, a pathway to getting better. And, and they're going to be active once again, I think, in the transfer portal and, and recruiting there with Brent Key. You know, this is a thing that is going to, because the program was in such shambles at the end of the Jeff Collins era, be built over time. But you, if you're someone who likes this rivalry like I do, you like the steps that Brent Key has taken. And I think you like the fact that Kirby Smart has acknowledged uh, what Georgia Tech has been able to do and sort of, I don't want to say close the gap, but at least have Georgia's attention in a way that they have not in recent years. So let me give you a quick theory on this game that I'm sort of workshopping a little bit. That I think there's some Georgia fans that would perceive, oh, because it's Buster Faulkner, you know, Faulkner might have a little extra information about Georgia. In fact, there were a few questions in the press conference yesterday kind of in that direction of the fact that, you know, former players and a former coach like this has knowledge about Georgia. But if you go back and watch last year's Oregon game, it certainly seemed like, you know, Georgia more than had Dan Lanning figured out here. In other words, in a battle of younger coach, older coach, where both sides feel like they know the other, the advantage might be with the older coach in terms of getting the most of that potential knowledge. Now, Georgia also happens to have better players than Georgia Tech, so you know perhaps this is you know kind of a moot point here. But this whole notion that that Faulkner, who I believe is a very good coach and a rising star within the coaching ranks, that somehow he's got an edge because he knows Georgia. It could be the opposite is more true here. The veteran coaching staff of UGA just has that little bit of extra edge because they sort of know everything they taught Buster Faulkner, but they didn't teach Buster Faulkner everything they know. Maybe we saw that with Dan Lanning in Oregon in 2022. How do you buy that as a theory on Saturday's game? Yeah, I actually do agree a lot with what Kirby Smart had to say yesterday. Maybe not so much, maybe not so much in the tone that he did, but one, like Buster Faulkner, point blank, has done an incredible job at Georgia Tech this year. They're averaging 14 points more per game this season, and while, yes, the talent upgrade, as Smart has pointed to, is a reason for that, uh, you know, you still got to have guys putting each other in the right situations and the right scenarios there. But I think to your larger point here, you know, Georgia Tech has played 11 games. Georgia has played 11 games. These two programs are going to pour over all the film that they have out there. You know, at this point in the year, you you know, there aren't, as as Smart said, there aren't a whole lot of secrets out there. You know, Georgia Tech knows what Georgia's going to do. They want to get going to get the ball to Brock Bowers. They're going to want to run the ball on first and second down. They're going to want to, you know, play a certain way defensively. And, well, yeah, Buster Faulkner knows some of that and knows some of the strengths of this team as well. Georgia knows just as much about Georgia Tech. And, and so, you know, this idea that, you know, Buster's going to have special things and know – the pressure points of this Georgia defense. If he's a good offensive coordinator, which I believe he is, he'd know that anyway, whether or not he spent last year at, at Georgia anyway. Like there, there are areas of this Georgia defense that you can attack that you don't need to have been in the building in the past to know and understand. And, and so I, I, I sort of side with Kirby Smart on this in terms of this idea that, yeah, you know, Buster knows some things about Georgia, but we obviously also know some things about him. And at the end of the day, I think that this is, as you point out, it's going to come down to the players and who makes more plays. Kirby Smart said that before. 
It's been uttered often during the whole Michigan Connor Stallions cheating, whatever you want to call that. And at the end of the day, like someone from Georgia Tech is going to have to try and tackle Brock Bowers. And I'd like Brock Bowers to, to break that tackle more often than not. All right, let me try to do two things really quick because I've kept you long and I'll be respectful of your time. Thing number one is this. I said yesterday, this is prior to the Kirby Smart press conference, that I was a little bit more concerned about Ladd McConkey than I expected to be because when you heard Kirby on Saturday night kind of acknowledging that McConkey didn't really practice last week, you know, that to me sort of spoke to the ankle injury perhaps being a little bit more serious than I realized. And then yesterday, Smart sort of threw water on the idea that it was as serious as it possibly could be, and now I'm just confused. Like, what do you make of the Lad McConkey injury? Because I do think McConkey's status for the biggest games that Georgia plays, including two Saturdays from now, is a really pretty big deal. Do you have a sense of how hurt or not McConkey might be with that ankle? It's really strange. We got a chance to talk to Lad McConkey after the after the Ole Miss game, and he said his ankle was fine when he was asked about it. We have it on video. And, you know, maybe the adrenaline has worn off and that ankle was impacted there. But you even go back and look at what Kirby has said on Saturday. He says that Lad didn't practice. And then yesterday he comes in and says Lad did some practice at the end of the week. And, you know, there's just a lot of – and this is just how Kirby operates with injuries in general. There's a lot of misinformation out there and trying downplaying what's going on and where things really are. You know, it's hard to get a real grasp on where things are. I'll say this. Labakanki shouldn't play this week. Well, Thomas shouldn't play this week. Tate Ratlitz should not play this week. Warren Brinson shouldn't play this week. Julian Humphrey shouldn't play this week. All those guys that are banged up and dealing with injuries, they should not play this with pre-existing injuries, obviously. They should not play this week. If you can't beat Georgia Tech without those guys, then you don't deserve to win a national title and be in the college football playoff anyway. You have enough time to be able to find a way to go out there and win. You know, if you're able to do that on the road against Tennessee, you should be able to go on the road and do it against Atlanta. Long term with McConkey, look, you know, he's been hurt before and he's found a way to come in and play. I think in those games in October before the bye week, you sort of saw that him come in and play a role, even if he was not the player that he was after the bye week. I would, you know, right now lean towards the idea that he's maybe going to be something like that against Alabama. Maybe not the full healthy version of himself the guy in certain spots who can go in there and make plays and you know maybe not playing 40 45 snaps but in the 20 to 25 snap range all right final thing for you college football playoff top 25 comes out tonight i'm looking forward to reacting with this with you on video uh here this evening folks you can see that on the dog nation uh video channels when they come out later on tonight after 7 p.m i'll just give you one quick hot take connor and then i'll give you a chance to sort of say whatever you want to but the rankings that come out tonight my preseason pick to make the playoff was Michigan. I think the last two years, and you've been as vocal about this as anyone, we've just seen Michigan be of a different caliber of team than Ohio State. It would also appear that's been true for most of this year, too. This Ohio State team is just really, really flawed. Um, I think I'm, about, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking very strongly about changing my pick here. Connor, I am getting very suspicious of how much the Michigan success the last two years has been aided by the Connor Stallion stuff. And I sort of don't know, even at home on Saturday, if Michigan can beat Ohio State without the Connor Stallion's advantage. I'm not holding myself to that. I reserve the right to change my mind. But Michigan, a preseason pick to make the playoff for me, I am very suspicious of how much they thought the Stallions' information was valuable to them. And in a game in which Harbaugh is suspended because of all of this, 
I'm sort of starting to feel like Ohio State might be the right side on Saturday, even though for most of the last three years they've been by far the the inferior team here. Um, are you with me on this? So am I hearing you correct in saying you're going to pick Ohio State and you're off the Michigan uh, train? I am I am floating that. This is a trial balloon. I, I am floating uh, that with the with the right to uh, with 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 the right to change my mind. But I, I I don't change my mind very easily and quickly. And I am thinking about here disavowing a preseason pick because I'm starting to think the uh, the sign ceiling stuff helped Michigan. And I'm I'm starting to think without that they're just not the same kind of team. And I understand you know your rationale behind this. You know. I, I'm just floating the idea that if you do jump off at this point in time on a preseason pick that you had made, and obviously we've gotten new information since then, I get that, I understand. I'm just floating the idea that that would be rather cowardly and that, you know, as a true take artist, you have to stick to your guns. And if you have been sitting on this Michigan ticket for this long, you have to cash it in. I'll be honest with you. If you're selling your Michigan stock, I'll get my broker in in touch with your broker and we can maybe do some swaps. (laughs) There's something along the lines of that. I'm still in on Michigan. To your point, I think this is a very flawed Ohio State team. I don't think this offense is very good. I think Michigan is going to have a plan for Marvin Harrison. I think they're going to have a plan for Travion Henderson. And I think they're going to find a way to win this game. I think they were holding some things back against Maryland last week. Uh, and, and, you know, against Penn State, it became very clear to them that they could just do what they needed to do and get out of there with a win. Maybe that's some projecting on my part. And, and admittedly, well, I think they you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. past two weeks. I'm buying Michigan stock. Give it to me. I've been here this long. Like you, I had them in the preseason as a team that could make the college football playoff. I still believe that here. Give me your Michigan stock. They're going to put Ohio State above Michigan if they already are. They did it in both polls this week. People are selling on Michigan left and right. You know, I don't know how online you are, B.A. I've got diamond hands when it comes to Michigan. <laughs> give, me, give me your Michigan stock. I will gladly take it. And when we are chatting, you know, tonight and then obviously next week and then on December 3rd when Georgia is in the college football playoff and Michigan in as well, I will be a very rich and happy man. Yeah, I don't know where my very online status ranks, but I am online enough to know what diamond hands are. So, I, so I'm at least very online enough to know that. Do you have a, a hot take on the CFP Top 25 before I let you go? I My hot take is that Florida State is going to get into the college football playoff because they're going to find a way to win these two next oh, wow. two games. And that is a mistake. Um, this has been a Florida State team that has not been playing its best football the last really six weeks of the season. Their best win is over an LSU team that just does not play defense. And losing a player like Jordan Travis, I think, is such a significant downgrade from what he was able to do and what he's going to be able to show. They're going to play two really flawed teams in Florida and Louisville in their next two games, and they should win those. They'll get in if they are, you know, 13 and 0 at that point. Over, I think a 12 and 1 Texas team that look, I've I've doubted it, and they really impressed me with what they were able to do and go on the road and win against Iowa State this week. If it's Georgia against Florida State in that college football playoff game, I think it's going to be another semifinal snoozer. And they should. And Florida State, the and look, it's unfair to the players. I get that. I don't think Florida State should be in an unbeaten Florida State should be in over a one loss Texas team. No, I, th- I think I would probably agree with you on that in that particular situation, and that's why. I mean, prior to last week, you could have gotten Florida State at plus two fifty to miss the playoff. Um, I think that was probably a good bet then. I think it's an even better bet now, whether it's because of a loss or because the committee. And I, I promise, I'm gonna let you go. Look, this is the last year of the four-team committee. It can do whatever it wants with the explanation that it'll all get solved next year because it's a 12-team playoff. 
I think if they want to exclude Florida State, they have every ability to do that because they can just shrug it off and say well it's a 12 team playoff they'll easily be in next year so we've never seen an undefeated power five team excluded and I sort of think we won't do it this year but if they want to they can because this is the sort of lame duck year where in the eyes of the decision makers nothing really counts anyway because they're about to do something brand new next year that I can't completely eliminate from my mind the idea that if they don't think Florida State, who's a little bit shaky even with Jordan Travis, if they don't think they're playoff worthy, they can get away with excluding them because we've got major change coming next season. And I would even say, you know, obviously before Jordan Travis and certainly without Jordan Travis now, of that clear sort of top eight teams, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Texas, and Alabama, certainly before the draft, uh, or after the Jordan Travis injury, maybe even before it, I'd have had Florida State ace there and yeah. was most likely to win the national title. And, and without a player like Travis, who was so important to them, uh, I, I think that you know it's going to be even tougher now. And then, of course, you know maybe that Florida State is just this year's TCU and they get all the breaks to go their way because naturally, uh, you know Florida looks like they're in a chance to maybe upset Missouri. Graham Mertz breaks his collarbone. Uh, Billy Napier and Austin Armstrong combined to call the worst fourth down defense we've ever seen. And now, you know, they get to beat up on a pretty, what I think will be dejected Florida team. So we'll see what happens with Florida State. But I believe they're going to be ultimately in the college football playoff. But I don't think on December 3rd they're going to be one of the four best teams in, in college football. And I don't believe that they should be in the college football playoff, assuming Texas wins out as well, obviously. Connor, really good stuff. Look forward to being on video with you tonight. We'll talk more about this then. And, of course, reading more from you there at dognation.com. And as we said, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy all of that. And uh, I'll see you in person. On Is it the Flats? Is that what it's called? The Flats? On the Flats? Yeah, on, the I, flats. I still don't know what the Flats are, but I will see you on the Flats on Saturday. Yeah, as a former Atlanta resident, there aren't exactly a lot of flat, you know, areas in Atlanta, so maybe I'll learn what that is this time around. All right, Connor, we'll talk to you then. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, really good stuff. So let me just say this real quick, because gosh knows it has gotten late, late, late. We have gone a long one here already. So I'm very conspiratorial when it comes to college football playoff. Very conspiratorial. And for a long time, what my belief was is that the committee was always to make whatever decision was better for business. That's why Ohio State gets into 2014. You can cite other examples of, hey, the big brand makes the college ball playoff because big brands are better for business. And I think most people have come to kind of understand that as the mission for the CFP. It's not their stated objective, but it is the underlying objective that drives everything that it does. However, I also believe the last couple of years we've seen a little bit of a shift on that. Because ultimately, like some of these big heavyweight matchups proved not to be that great for ratings anyway, at least not eye-popping TV ratings. So what was best for business wasn't necessarily dramatically better than what the alternative might would have been. So I think within the last couple of years, we've seen a little bit of a shift in the behavior of the CFP committee from the standpoint that the business interests are still important. But we've seen like, for lack of a better phrase, I know this is a gross word to many of you, but we've seen like political interests be a little bit more valuable. For instance, a couple of years ago, I think the committee saw it as very important to include a group of five team in Cincinnati because a lot of the underlying stuff related to the college ball playoff has been the need for buy-in. It's one of the reasons why so many concessions were made to the Rose Bowl at the very beginning of, of all of this is because the Pac-12 and the folks out West were more than content to not participate in the college ball playoff unless they got what they wanted. But the playoff has always required a certain amount of buy-in. 
with the uh, attempt to expand to the 12-team playoff and things like that, something that's going to make more money for everybody. You also needed buy-in as well from the rest of the kind of NCAA, kind of what we think of as the as the FBS, in order to kind of keep the wheel spinning towards the idea of the expanded playoff. So Cincinnati gets in a couple of years ago. So we've kind of been in an era in which the decisions of the CFP have shifted from business and business alone to also kind of like politics and inclusion and things like that. So that's been the little bit of the shift that we've seen. Now, this is the final year. The 12 team playoffs already been agreed upon and you know that's going to happen. So this is a year in which the committee can do whatever it wants with the explanation of well next year this won't be an issue because it's a 12 team playoff. Now, you may say, well what is it the committee wants? I would say we don't exactly know that. Do they really want the ACC with a 12 13 and 0 champion to feel like they're part of this? Do they want to try to find a way to get Texas in because Texas has never been in the playoff? Do they want to – there's all kinds of potential theories about what the committee might want, but the one thing we do know is is given the lame duck status of this year's 14 playoff, they can do whatever they want, whatever they want happens to be. So just sort of keep that in mind that there's a lot more freedom to make whatever decision you want to make because this is the last year you have to worry about some of this kind of stuff. So just sort of keep that in mind. Ultimately, I believe that Florida State not being a part of the playoff is probably a bet worth taking whether because they are excluded which i think there's a slight chance they could be even if undefeated uh because of the jordan travis injury or maybe more likely whether it be florida which is no easy game without jordan travis um and then obviously louisville in the acc championship which was already going to be probably a pretty tough game uh cardinals playing pretty good football with first year coach jeff brahm either because florida state loses or they're just excluded I think Florida State to miss the playoff is probably a little bit better bet than what Connor Riley just described as being right there. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here today. I'm going to do this quick because we got a lot to get to. But you need to be making your quick decision right now to be a part of some of the great things that Royal Caribbean's got going on here in 2024, including July of 2024. You've heard me talk before about the Oasis-class ships, the largest cruise ships at sea, at least right now. Well, the brand-new Oasis-class ship is going to be introduced in July of 2024. It's called Utopia of the Seas. And it's specially built for those kind of taking these three- and fortnight sailings going out of Port Canaveral, which is the port closest to where I live here in the Atlanta area. It's super convenient, and it's an amazing experience for your family here. Sometimes those three- and four-night sailings, especially out of the kind of just beyond the Orlando area, those are the ones that kind of make the most sense for a lot of families, and this is a great experience for you. Our friend Jessica Slater can tell you more about that. Uh, you can give her a call, 770-718-9147. She's a great travel agent, 770-718-9147. You can email her as well, Slater at dreamvacations.com. So whether it's the brand-new Icon of the Seas, the brand-new Utopia of the Seas, the brand-new Hideaway Beach coming to Perfect Day Coco Cay, so many brand-new things courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Jessica Slater can tell you all about that here coming up. All right, more cruising around the SEC stuff here right now. I thought that uh, Hugh Freeze said something interesting yesterday. So Freeze referenced that he got a message from Gus Malzahn. And a lot of these former high school coaches that kind of worked their way up to the college level kind of stick together a little bit. So Freeze and Malzahn have a little bit of a relationship. And what Freeze said was is that Malzahn told him that, hey, I know you've coached in rivalry games before, Egg Bowl, things like that, but the Iron Bowl is at a whole nother level. That's what Freeze said Malzahn told him. Now, what Freeze did not say, but what was immediately in my mind is, oh, this is an example of 
Hugh Freeze trying to get it right, where maybe he got it wrong a couple of months ago when he really seemed to be kind of caught off guard. But what the Georgia-Auburn rivalry was to Auburn fans, had some very weird things to say about that rivalry the week of the game and really kind of came across as if you know he wasn't the sort of you know dyed-in-the-wool SEC guy that we sort of know him to be. And when it comes to Iron Bowl, certainly with the comments yesterday, Freeze wanted to make sure he didn't get it wrong. Signing Gus Malzahn kind of gets the headline there because Malzahn's obviously the ex-Auburn coach. But to me, this is more of a second chance to get the rivalry discussion right in a way that he got that wrong prior to the Deep South's oldest, you know, going back to a little bit earlier here this season. And obviously the kind of dark cloud that hangs over this game is, is that Alabama's riding high and Auburn is the lowest of lows after losing by three touchdowns to the Aggies, not Texas A&M but New Mexico State it seemingly could not get worse for freeze than that but y'all we've sort of seen this before I talked off the top of the program where you know Georgia Georgia Tech is a rivalry where the old cliche of throw the records out the window that doesn't quite match for the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry but it matches I think pretty well when it comes to the Iron Bowl because we've seen Auburn play well in this series before even though Alabama seemed to have so much more going for it We've also seen Hugh Freeze have success against Alabama, too. Perhaps all of that's enough to have Alabama on the uh, right stance for this game here this weekend. Good footing going into the game, but it's also at Jordan-Hare Stadium. They typically play well against Alabama there. This may be another one of those examples where you could see a little bit of, obviously, I don't think Auburn beats Alabama or anything like that, but I also don't think that Auburn lays down and dies in this game necessarily either. Uh, maybe a little bit of a look-ahead spot for Alabama because I do believe the SEC championship means a lot to that program. And I'll also say this, on the heels of the lowest of possible lows for Auburn right now after the embarrassing game to New Mexico State, we told you about that game You know, leading into it. It's going to be a tricky spot. Aggies have won nine games now. I, you know, Connor brought up the phrase of like selling stock a moment ago. I'm not selling any Hugh Free stock. I still think Hugh Freeze has a chance to be a successful coach at Auburn. Obviously, there's some first-year growing pains for a lot of guys, and he's certainly dealing with those. So um, if if any Auburn fan happened to stumble into this show here today, my advice to you on this was don't 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 panic about Hugh Freeze. I, I think he's going to probably end up being fine. Uh, this was obviously just a very weak roster here this year, and there's only so much you can change about that in the transfer portal, especially at a time when in which the portal just did not have very many, uh, you know, impact quarterbacks in it this particular year speaking of the Aggies the other Aggies Texas A&M uh Brent Swarneman who's longtime reporter for the Houston Chronicle had an interesting quote yesterday on social media from Ross Bjork the Aggies athletic director I want to read it to you Ross Bjork saying of the coaching vacancy this is not an eight and four job you win the national championship you'll get paid like a national championship coach uh, that is what apparently Ross Bjork said during a radio interview yesterday. And of course, this causes laughter from a lot of people because A&M has not won a national championship in darn near 100 years. So it seems pretty ridiculous from a perspective of a lot of people to hear you know Bjork talking that way. But I have a couple of thoughts about this. A, it's a smart thing for Bjork to do because if A&M does not win a national championship or at least compete for a national championship soon, Bjork's going to get fired anyway. He doesn't save his job as athletic director by talking cautiously, by by trying to temper expectation. If anything, the best thing he could do for his job is to kind of create expectations at a fever pitch to kind of keep those you know dollars rolling in because that's the one thing that's supposed to be a little bit of a separator for Texas A&M, the ability to raise you know big dollars here. So I don't fault Ross Bjork for talking big here in this spot. And I also kind of put myself in the category of people that 
would say that just because Texas A&M, for the most part, has never really won anything of consequence doesn't mean that it can't. It does have fertile recruiting soil. It does have access to financial resources. You know, It does have a presence in the biggest conference in college football, at least right now, the SEC, that the right coach at A&M could make a big difference. I think the story here for the last few years is not what's wrong with Texas A&M as a program, but what seemed like an obvious no-brainer hire just proved not to be. In other words, the divorce between Jimbo Fisher and A&M is obviously an ugly one. But the ultimate takeaway for me is not that, well, a and is so much worse of a program than I realized. It's that Jimbo Fisher's status as a national championship coach sort of feels like a fraud. That all he had was a couple of great years with Jameis Winston. And other than that, that's just not reflective of the kind of coach he really is. So the last few years, I think, speak more poorly of Jimbo Fisher as a coach than it does Texas A&M as a program. I think with the right coach, they have a chance to obviously still be very, very successful. National championship level, I mean, only one team can win that. But contending for and competing with national championship level programs with the right coach, of course they could. And with the money they have a chance to spend, hiring the right coach, you would think, would be a little bit easier there in that regard. Um, a couple other things here really quickly. I saw where Lane Kiffin was sort of talking up, you know, the idea of Greg Knox as the uh, interim coach at Mississippi State and the idea that program's playing with house money here right now. This is the other thing I'll tell you is that last year we saw, whether it be Cadillac at Auburn or a couple of other examples, Brent Key at Georgia Tech was an example of this. Interim coaches played well down the stretch. So watch your interim coaches here this weekend. A&M against LSU, Mississippi State against Ole Miss. At least just keep your eye on interim coaches because, honestly, interim coaches played, you know, coached pretty well down the stretch a year ago. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin says that Mississippi State's playing with house money this week. He may not be completely wrong about that. Some of these teams a year ago seemed to get some new, fresh motivation from a little bit of a change of voice when it came to coach with the interim. I'd keep my eye on that there a little bit. And then uh, briefly mention this. We talked to Connor about the old Heisman thing. I mentioned some stuff on Carson Beck to begin the show. So it's been a kind of an interesting jockeying of position. You know, last week, you know, uh, Bo Nix was a kind of a minus money favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. But this week, based on another big game from Jaden Daniels, he kind of, kind of slides up to where he is now, the listed favorite. At least like MGM, some of those books have uh, have Daniels as the listed favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. So it's an interesting battle going on right now with kind of whoever the best quarterback in the Pac-12 is perceived to be. Right now, that's Bo Nix versus Jaden Daniels. Uh, but I do believe that that Carson Beck, with a primetime game on Saturday and a huge showcase against Alabama, I think he could probably still elbow his way into there before it's all said and done. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, before we wrap up here today, let us also remind you that we're just two weeks ahead, uh, a little bit less than that now, of the big game coming up in Atlanta next Saturday. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday. That means a lot of you making your um travel plans here right now and that's where our friends at discovered done when he come in and all this because if you want the best hotel rates and kind of a family-friendly safe environment sort of outside some of the hustle and bustle of like downtown or Buckhead or something like that right here in the Dunwoody Georgia area where we broadcast from every day is a great place for you to consider if you go to discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation you can find out more about that that's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation you got a couple thousand different hotel rooms which creates the opportunity for great savings also a couple of hundred restaurants every kind of cuisine you can imagine fine dining you know fast casual sort of everything else in between uh 
like 300 different shopping experiences. You want to do some Christmas shopping while you're also getting ready for the big game. Uh, great chance to do that right here in the Dunwoody area there as well. So once again, the website to go to is discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for a lot more on that. And as we wrap up here today, we'll give you a great collection of golden shoes. We told you we'd have a lot of those for you here this week. Just looking back on the Great Dog Nation invasion of the Tennessee River, we'll start with this. A good friend I got a chance to meet there on Saturday. His name is Asher. Came in from uh, Virginia for the big event. Uh, we had a chance to pose for a picture there at the end. His dad shared that with me, and I wanted to share that with you. Really good stuff with Asher uh, hanging out there for Dog Nation Invasion. Great collection of families on board the uh, Dog Nation Invasion riverboat. So a, a lot of fun. That's us inside the boat there at that particular time. So a uh, really, really good experience. Appreciate that being shared with me. And Asher, great to hang out with you as a part of Dog Nation Invasion. How about our next one here as well? Bill Sanders shares this. A little bit of a meme of a turkey on one side of tech, helmet on the other. It says, hashtag clean old-fashioned hate the caption saying one of these is going to get destroyed this week the other is a turkey boy i like that bill funny stuff in honor of thanksgiving and the rivalry game against georgia tech keeping things going there as well uh king seabass sends this in says clean old-fashioned hate hashtag golden shoe the uh the the meme here says oh my gosh i love your accent say garbage and the and the character says georgia tech yeah, there you go on that. That certainly reflects the way a lot of Georgia fans feel about that. Seabass, appreciate that. Really good stuff. We have another one. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Uh, pop back-to-back Natty Champs shared this with me. So, uh, And then Skinny Dog Tens one that, I guess, made this meme. So we've talked before about the fact that last year Tennessee wrote a book after it beat Alabama. So the joke this week has been they're going to now write a book after having a 7 nothing lead against Georgia. And that's what the little thing here says. It says, how Tennessee's epic first play delivered a 7-0 lead versus Georgia with a special forward from Eric Ainge. Uh, <laughs> revivals, it says, from the uh, Knoxville News Sentinel and the Tennessean. Uh, really funny stuff from Skinny Dog 10. Very, very clever uh, you know, work there on that. I appreciate Real Pop 75 sharing that with me on social media. Is that the last one? All right, that's the last one for today. We'll have a lot more good ones tomorrow for you there as well. How about Gator Hater Updater? Speaking of rivals, 1,109 days since Florida's beaten Georgia. That's a number that's going to keep on going up for many months and if not many, many years to come. In fact, we do believe it'll be years on that. We'll, of course, see you all back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody. <laughs>